And, uh, I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I appreciate Andrew. Uh, if you didn't notice, we had, um, there's probably about, I think they said about around 40 of our youth and leaders are in Branson this morning. And so Andrew had to pick it up with the, he was the only, only instrument recently besides a bass. And so I'm so glad he was here this morning. Our keyboard player is in Branson, our, our drum player is in Branson. Um, and so, but we're, we're praying they're having a great time. Heard great reports. I know they're having fun. And uh, it's been a weekend. And so I'm, I'm just excited about that. But I'm excited you guys are here and excited about what God has in store for us this morning. Um, you know, it, it's um, Pastor Mark mentioned our prayer night, but I want to encourage you. I know sometimes when you say prayer night, some of you automatically go to sleep. But it's not that kind of prayer night. Uh, we, have, we have a great time. The Spirit of the Lord moves. And it's, it's kind of a, a guided prayer to where we, don't, you don't, we just don't send you into corners and have you pray for an hour. We, we give you topics and say we're praying for our community. This is what we're praying for. We're praying for this, praying for that. And we kind of walk through a night of prayer. Tonight's going to be a great time. And so I know I need this. I'm sure you need this. And so I just invite you to come out. Just note the, that, the, note the time change, 6 o'clock. You normally do things at 6.30. We're trying to do it at 6 o'clock, get you home at a decent hour, and uh, we'll have a great time tonight. This morning, if you're new with this, what we do at Brighton is we, we land on a book of the Bible to go through. And it's not just some random, we don't just open our Bible and close our eyes and point. We're, gonna, we're going to that book. We, we spend time in prayer, we spend time in fasting and asking the Lord where to go. And he's taking, it, taking us to Acts. And we've been in Acts for a while now. We started last year in Acts. And so, but we've been there a while because we're just baby stepping our way through it. What we do is we take a little bit of it, talk about it, how does it apply to our life, and we see what God's saying to us. And that's where we're at today in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through the rest of the chapter. What's interesting when we get to Acts chapter 17 is Paul finds himself just today, this morning, in a place, again, this is some 2,000 years ago, but you could, you could relate where he's at to where we're at right now. Culturally was what I'm talking about. He finds himself in Athens. In Athens, he sees all kinds of craziness. I mean, they're just, it's just a society gone wild. Literally what we have in our society today, our culture today. It's, it's, it's just, anything goes, right? I was talking to youth leaders. I had privilege to go up Thursday night and talk with our youth leaders, and we're talking about church and things at the church, and we talked about one of the non-negotiables we have at Brighton is we will not lower the standard. And we're holding this standard, and we're keeping this standard, and, and, but what you see today in society, there is no standard. Honestly. And I'm not trying to speak too harshly, but... There's a standard, but the thing about it is our society is the way it is. If, if, if you come to Brighton and we have the standard and you don't like that standard, just go down the road a block or two and there will be a place where they have a standard to fit your need. That's a little sad today. But what Paul saw as he walked through Athens, he saw idols after idols after idols. They were worshiping everything under the sun. That's where we find ourselves in our society today. I mean, it, it even shows, I mean, American Idol. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, you don't even hide it anymore. And I'm not saying that's a bad show. We've watched that show. My, my kids love the show. I'm just saying it's prevalent in our society today. And so what do we, as Christians, what do we do? How do we 
go about living in this society. I think Paul shows us a great template of what to do. And so that's where we're going to turn to is in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So you see, right off the bat, he comes into Athens. And Athens, just to let you know, it was kind of the intellectual capital of the world at the time. I mean, you think about like Oxford, Harvard, Yale, Duke. It's like that. All those rolled into ones. That's what Athens was. It was a center for arts. Center for Athletics. I mean, it housed one of the world's largest stadiums. It was the birthplace of the Olympics. I mean, there was a lot going on in Athens. In verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Then 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this blabber wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrections. Well, these two groups, just to let you know kind of where we're at, what they believed, they believed gods were composed of atoms. These gods they served were composed of atoms so small they actually lived in a space in between worlds. Since they lived in a space in between worlds, they didn't care about this world. So their philosophy was live it up. And so that's how they, they, they approach things. And then you notice they called him a blabber. That's not a nice term in their, in their vocabulary. Because really what that means is, you remember, you guys seen the birds that pick up the seeds and spit them out? They pick them up, spit them out. Pick, that's what they're referring to. They're blabbing. They're blabbers. And actually it referred to like a, um, a second class mind. And so they were like, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he's a, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a blabbing. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just out there. Okay, then verse 19. And they took him and, and, belong, and brought him to Arapagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. All right, so they go to interview Paul. How many think that's going to go well for them? So verse 22, so Paul, saying in the midst of Arapagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Starts off pretty good, right? Common ground. Verse 23, for I pass along and observe the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. It's funny, Paul points out, so he's walking in, and you can see all these statues of idols all around them, right? This idol is this, this idol is this. this. They even had, this, is a, this shows you the extent of craziness, they had an idol to the unknown God. So just in case none of these gods covered what you're worshiping, you can always fall back to the unknown God because he's got your back. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's how crazy it was for them. And so that was just these images. As you walk in, all around are these images, images of struggle, right? And it represented their struggle to figure out life. It, it, was, it was hard work. And Paul saw these as a struggle for God. And so he started with their question. And now watch what he does in verse 23. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gave all 
gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of the dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their ways towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So he's doing two things here, right? First, he's saying the real God is not some tribal deity that has jurisdiction over just this limited space, right? He's saying the real God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, all mankind. And second, he's saying the greatest pursuit in life is to find him. That's the greatest thing that you can find. Because think about it, the Greek and Roman gods were always a means to something else. All these idols there in Athens, they were a means to something else. They're a means to prosperity. They're a means to power. They're a means to whatever you wanted. That's what they were for. He's saying the real God is so glorious and transcendent. Paul says that he is his own reward. He's not to be sought as as means for anything else. He's the reward. In verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. I mean, he's doing a masterful job here, and I'm going to point it out how, how, how cool this is, what he's doing. Because you see that it's in quotations there. He's not quoting another scripture verse. He's actually quoting a song written about Zeus in 600 B.C. So he's quoting like their own prophets to them. Like this is what your own guy said, right? I mean, he's, he's versed enough to know their culture. He's, not, he's, he's showing them that in that verse, they've actually stumbled upon some truth, and they're actually asking the right questions. They don't have the right answers, but they're asking the right questions. And then verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art of an imagination of a man. So see, he's starting to get to the point here. Like all these idols, we're God's offspring. These idols are formed by you guys. Paul's saying it's, it's the God of the Creator that we're worshiping, not, not these idols that you made. And in verse 30, at times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man who is appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so here he gets that the word assurance means proof. Okay, God's got proof. Here's the proof that he's raised from the dead. And so what you, didn't, what you, what you probably didn't see, but Paul, Paul lays out a pattern here for us. And this pattern is a pattern that you and I can use today. In our society today, I know we're very tempted in writing our society off, say, well, they believe in this, they do that, they practice this. I don't want to even talk to them. I don't want nothing to do with them. Paul's saying, no, 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 hang on. There's, there's a pattern. Let me show you the pattern. Here's how the pattern goes. The first thing and the first step in this pattern is be provoked by idols. Be provoked by idols. When Paul saw the impressive structures of Athens, they didn't intimidate him, nor did they seduce him. They provoked him. I mean, what is our reaction today when we see the idols of our world? And when I talk about idols, I, I know we... You know, there are people who are worshiping statues, but for the most part, what I'm talking about is, is things that people place in everything they do, every work, everything they do, it goes towards that. Like money. Money is a great idol of our day, right? Fame, fortune, those are idols of today. All these, other, you'd be surprised what can be an idol. 
Hobbies can be an idol. If you live for that hobby, if you're, if you're a bow hunter, and that's all, if you're, you know, if you're a car enthusiast or you're a sports enthusiast, those can be. And so when I say idols, that's what I'm talking about. Don't don't think of some statue in a museum. Think think of these things that we're talking about today. And so when you see these things, watch your what what is your reaction? Tim Keller said, "Look at whatever buildings in your city are the biggest, and they usually indicate the idols." So when you, when you think, when you watch things like maybe the Oscars or the Academy Awards, what emotions fill you? Is it emotions of admiration or, or heartbreak? And if you're not provoked by the idols, that might be a red flag. If you can walk through our society and say, oh, that's okay. I mean, that's, I mean, no, that's, that's, in the scope of things, that's not really not a bad. You know, it, it, uh, you know, it's acceptable today. It's, if you're not provoked by these things, it, it might be a red flag for you. And the opposite is true of that too, though. You see, see these things and, and they anger you and you get to the point where you find, well, they, just, they deserve what they get. You might be out of touch with the gospel in that. And so we, we got to have a, a good balance. But Paul was provoked by the idolatry. The standard was set. And Paul's saying, you guys, that is not, that's not acceptable. Yet our society is saying, oh, it's acceptable. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it, it, it's celebrated even. It's lifted up even. And if we don't accept it, then we're, 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 on, we're, we're, we're not right. We're on the outside looking in. And so that's why this is so prevalent. Is that what do we do when we see these things? What do we do when we see our friends and our family members who, whose lives are, are all serving this idol, whatever it may be for them? You just pat on the back and say, oh, that's okay. Or you find a way to speak lovingly into that situation, to show them the truth, to present the truth. Or are you just confirming what they're doing? When we see these idols in lives and lives, it should enrage us. Like, that is not right. It's okay to say that is not right. Remember what we talked about last week? There are some absolute truths, and they're found in this. That's the standard we hold. Paul was provoked, but he didn't run from the people of Athens. He ran towards them in compassion. And that's what you and I did to do. We see these idols in people's lives. We see these things going on. And instead of getting angry and frustrated and saying, I don't want nothing to do with them, I don't want to talk to them, we need to represent in compassion to them. That's what Paul was doing. Paul was deeply aware of the culture. And so he was able to dialogue with them. We have to know our culture. We have to pay attention to our culture. I mean, most of us get upset when our culture is he- where our culture is headed, but we get to the point where we're not actually listening to what people are saying. And if we're upset, we're, I get that. We're angry, I get that. And if we stop listening to what people are saying, then guess what? We don't know how to respond. And we miss the point that when they're doing, when they're serving these idols, when they when they're doing these things, that they're actually looking for something. Remember, they're looking for God. Why? Because we, have, we all, every one of us have this missing spot, right? We talked about this. 
And these people serving the idols, they're looking for that. They're looking for God, and they don't know what they're looking for. And when we stop listening, we don't know what they're saying. Think about this. When we have missionaries that we send overseas, we don't just send them overseas and say, good luck, do we? They have to go to school. They go to school to learn the language, and they go to school to learn the culture. Why? So when they get overseas, they can understand the culture. And when they understand the culture, they hear the culture, and then they can speak into the culture. You get what I'm saying this morning? Is it making sense? They're not going to want to listen if, you don't, if you're not listening to them. The sad thing is, is most of our missionaries have a better, better insight into their culture than we do our own culture. And so the first thing, we've got to be provoked by idolatry. It's not okay. It's not a nice pat on the back, say, oh, it's, it'd be okay. That's not it. We've got to be enraged. We've got to find compassion. Second thing we've got to do, we've got to find common ground. I won't spend long on this, but the heart of mankind is incurably religious. Incurably religious. God created us to worship him. I mean, it's a primary drive of us, like, like food or water. It's, it's just in us. And because of sin, we know it's been corrupted and the remnants of it is still here. And so this is where we get all the craziness at. I mean, all of us ask ultimate questions. All of us search for meaning. All of us put ultimate value on certain things, and we live for that. And so in the midst of that, we got to find common ground with somebody, Right? They're not going to have a conversation with you if you just come right at them with the gospel. You've got to find common ground. What's the common ground? We talked about this. What do you do for a living? How many kids you got? You got a family? I mean, this is common ground. We find common points of interest, common points of agreement with each other. And what we start? We just start a conversation. Right? And so number one, be provoked by adultery. Number two, find common ground. Number three, expose the truth about their false gods. Expose the truth about their false gods, all right? Before you present Jesus as the answer, sometimes you need to show that their current answer isn't working, right? Before you present Jesus, let them know, you know what? Your current system, it just might not work for you. I mean, people that adopted a philosophy that, that, that might not work for them in the short run and won't hold up to scrutiny. For example, when I see someone who's really given themselves to, this, to an idol, ask, ask, how's that working for you? Do the people who have the little G God that you're looking for appear to satisfy you? Money. Think about money. A lot of people have the, the idol of money in their life. How's that working out for you? How's that 401k setting nowadays? I mean, what happens when the Wall Street crashes? What happens to your God when you die? Your money goes to the state. Your money goes to the, to the, 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 to the uh, government, wherever you got, however you got lined out. Because you ain't taking it with you. And so if I can quote their own prophets to show a problem, I'll do that. So ask them about their gods. Okay, well, what about this? I mean, just take this. There's an interview by, by Zach Efron. 
He's an actor. It was way back in, in, in 2014, but at this time he's in his mid-20s. He had to check into an alcohol rehab facility. And this is what, the, in an interview, he said this. He said, I done films back to back to back. I was burned out. There was something lacking, some sort of hole that I couldn't really fill up. I was just so deep into my work, it was really the only thing I had. And he goes on to say, I mean, he says this, I mean, you're in your 20s, single, going through life in Hollywood. You know what I mean. No, I don't know what he means. I don't have money. I don't have influence. I don't have none of that. I have no idea what he means. And so, yeah, we don't know. But look, he, he, he's given all of he's got to attain these things. And so the question is, is your God worth the things you sacrifice? He sacrificed a lot. He had money, he had fame, he had fortune, he had all that. But he's in a rehab center because there's something missing. He, he even said there's something missing. So just ask them about their God. Ask them about their idol. I wouldn't probably use the word idol if I was you. But just ask them how life's treating them. How's the, how's the pursuit of money going for you? If your God's money, you're probably going to sacrifice family integrity to get it. Is it worth it? And there's those some out there that they say, well, all moral values are equal. Like, do you really believe that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about this guy named Peter Zinger. There's a guy out there called Peter Zinger. He argues this, and you'll love this. He argues that we'd be better off if we eliminated those with birth defects up to two years old and euthanized the old. He said it should be legal. Is that moral value equal? That's a question, right? And that's a question you'd ask somebody who said all moral value is equal. I don't know. I mean, there are some societies that life works better if you keep women uneducated at home. Is that moral value equal? See what I'm saying? So you find out what their, and to find out what their God is, to find out what their idol is, you've got to talk to them, find common ground. But once you find out, you start asking questions. How's that working out for you? How's your, what does your wife think about the whole women should be uneducated and stay at home? I mean, just ask the question. That's all you got to do. I mean, you talk to atheists who are really concerned to show you that they can still be moral people, right? Like, I admire that, but if there's no God, is there really any basis to say something's right or something's wrong? I mean, if you say to someone, you ought, you ought to do this, even if it's not in your best interest, the ought implies some divine law that supersedes your interest at the moment. I mean, again, just ask some questions. I mean, mankind is incurably religious, which means we have to ask a lot of questions. But also means only Jesus and the gospel gives answers that satisfy. You see what I'm saying to me? That satisfy. You say, well, pastor, I don't know much as Paul, or I don't know as much as I should know. That's okay. What are you going to do? One, you're going to study. You're like, ah, I don't know about that. Listen to this. If you love somebody, you want to figure out how to communicate something that's important, isn't it? If, if one of my children, if they were to go deaf, 
Do you not think I'm going to learn sign language? I'm going to learn how to communicate to my child. Why? Because I love my child. If you have something and you love somebody and you want to, you, you're going to study to figure out how to communicate to that person. And secondly, when you don't know what else to do, it's my favorite part. Just ask questions. Just ask questions. That's what I do. And eventually they say something that opens the door for the gospel. Right? All right, so be, I need to hurry. Be provoked by idolatry. Find common ground. Expose the truth about their false gods. And you see how I approach this. When I say expose the truth about the false gods, we're doing it in a loving way. And we're just asking questions. We're not saying, you're an idiot. Right? And that's probably not a good approach. Just ask, how's that working out for you? Right? Just ask a question. Fourthly, proclaim the greatness of God. I mean, the core, core of Paul's message was that the true God is bigger than our idols could be. One of the chief characters of all false religion is a truncated view of God, a shrunken down view of God is what it means. God gets reduced to a size we can easily explain, manipulate, or, or use to get something else we want like prosperity or power, Right? I mean, the real God is so large, so infinite, so wise that he's unexplainable. And everyone in here, if you're honest, sometimes that's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, it leaves me with a lot of questions that I can't answer. But if God is infinite wise, then of course there's, no, there's going to be things about him that I can't explain. Hello? You can't say he's infinitely wise and then explain them. It doesn't work. I mean, if God, here's what Evelyn Underhill said. I love this. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. Think about how much greater God's power is than yours. When the real God is, is going to baffle you at times. And he's certainly not just a means to the end, more prosperity, a better life. The real God is better than all those things, and he is the reward. There's something inside of you that tells you that this is true. It isn't the unknown God you're searching for. And so we're going to be provoked by idolatry. We're going to find common ground. We're going to expose the truth about their false gods. We're going to proclaim the greatness of God. And number five, this is, this is it. This is the big one. We're going to drive towards the resurrection. I want to get the worship team to come back up. We're going to drive toward resurrection. This is where Paul's getting to. This is where he's always been headed right here. It's where the greatness of God is most on display. Think about it. And the gospel is fundamentally an announcement, not an explanation. Christ claimed to be God in the flesh, sent here to save us. So the question is, is he who he says he is? That's why he's presenting to the people of Athens. Is he who he says he is? The more important question probably is, who do you say that he is? Think about this. Let me show you this. Religion and philosophy, they ask, who is right? The gospel says, who is Jesus? Right? Religious and philosophy ask, what is true? The gospel says, what happened in the death and resurrection? This answers the question. Religion and philosophy ask, what does God want from us? The gospel says, look what God has done for us. 
religion and philosophy asks, what kind of sacrifice do I have to make to gain God's acceptance? The gospel says, look at the sacrifice God's made on our behalf. You see the difference? Christianity has not come to us by way of explanation, but by way of revelation. It's not a better explanation, but it's who Jesus says he is. And who do you say he is? In verse 32 and 33, Paul says this, Now when, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We hear you, will we hear you again about this? In verse 33, So Paul went out from the midst, but some men joined him and believed. So when you present Paul's pattern, right? When you're provoked, when you find common ground, when you expose the truth about their false idols, when you proclaim the greatness of God, when you drive towards a resurrection, three things are going to happen. There's going to be there's those who mock, those that are thinking about it, and those who have joined you. Verse 34, do you see the order that happened in verse 34? But some men joined him and some believed. Nobody got saved on the spot. Some joined and then they believed. This is the pattern for what we need today. It's so easy for you and I to see what's happening in our world, to see what's happening in our society and write it off. I don't want to associate with those people. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to... It's so easy to be like, well, that's just... We're provoked by the idols. It should move us to compassion. To where we start a conversation. To where we find common ground. To expose the lies of the enemy in their life. Show them the goodness of God. And we show them why it matters. Why? Because our God is not dead. Our God has conquered death. Our God cannot be explained. Our God cannot be put in a box. Our God is not made by human hands. This is our God. We love somebody enough, you're going to figure out how to communicate that message. So my question for you this morning is how much do you love them? those around you, maybe some family members, maybe some co-workers, maybe some neighbors of yours who their life is just out of whack. But if you listen, you would hear them saying they're just searching for something. They're just longing for, they're wanting the fulfillment. They're wanting to, to feel like they belong. They want to feel satisfied. And nothing they're doing is working. We could take a lesson from Paul here and present a beautiful presentation of the gospel. Point them to Jesus. Remember, what's our job? What do you, and I, you and I are called to do? We're called to share our, share our message, right? Share our testimony. It's not your job to save them. Only God can do that. If we follow this pattern, yeah, we're probably going to be mocked. Some's going to have questions. Some's going to believe. But are they not worth it? Because the way I read my Bible, every person breathing is created in God's image. No 
matter what they're doing at this moment, they were created in God's image. They're worth it. They're worth us to step out of our, our comfort zones. Just ask some questions. Have a conversation. Won't you stand with me this morning? I want the worship team to lead us this morning. As they're leading, I ask that you just pray about God to lay somebody in your heart that you can share with. That you can just start a conversation, ask some questions, present the truth in a